Run to Old Navy right now to get up to 50% off the entire store. Plus, this Saturday only, don't miss this once-a-year event. Old Navy flip-flops are just $1. And for the first time ever, the first 50 people in line at each store will get a free pair. Hurry in Saturday for Old Navy's great flip-flop giveaway. Excludes clearance and gift cards. Valid 611 to 623. Flip-flop offer valid 620 in stores only. Limit 10 per customer. Legal residents of the 50 United States, D.C. and Puerto Rico, 16 and older. For details, visit a participating Old Navy store. Blog Talk Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Drop that puck! Drop that puck! Drop that puck! Saturday edition of the Seattle Sinbin, and we've got a good show for you today, although we're going to be winging it a little bit. Um, what are we going to talk about today? First of all, uh, my co-host Otto Rogers will will hopefully join us about 15 minutes into the show, and I look forward to him calling in. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to be interfacing with the guys from the Vegas Hockey, Hockey Podcast down in Vegas. Uh, as most of our listeners know, uh, we, we've been tracking, uh, what's going on in Vegas pretty, pretty closely. Um, we're, we're really interested to know, um, if they're going to get expansion announced sometime this summer or maybe this fall. And we're going to, we're going to talk to the, the hosts of, uh, the Vegas, uh, the Vegas hockey podcast. And, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, the NHL finals. We're going to, we're going to recap the finals, how those, how that went. Uh, we might even talk a little NHL draft. And we're also going to talk about, um, we're also going to talk about how things are going down in Vegas and what they think their prospects are for getting some kind of hockey announcement, um, in the near future. Um, and hopefully they'll call in any minute now. Um, I think the first guy we're going to talk to is named Mark, and uh, he's going to call in any second now, I know. Um, But, you know, looking back on the finals, um, my one disappointment in the finals this year is that it only went six games. I was really hoping hoping that it would go seven, Um, but you know, we can't always get what we want, and it was a good series anyway, and, uh, you know, I, I just wish, you know, I was really rooting for uh, the Lightning to win this. Uh, I, I love the local connections on the Lightning, um, uh, Tyler Johnson being the Spokane native. I, I love the fact that Todd Lightwicky is uh, in management over there, both of those with Northwest, Northwest connections, and I really would have liked them to win. Um, but the problem was, and Otto and I kind of talked about this before the series started, was that um, while Tampa was really good on offense and they had the triplets led by Tyler Johnson, while they were really good on offense, what I saw in Chicago in the playoffs up to that point was this ability to just play really close to teams and, and really 
they're good on defense. They're smart. They're tenacious. Um, they they know how to play teams and keep games close. And their championship pedigree, their championship experience, uh, really allowed them to clamp down on Tyler Johnson and the other the other two triplets. And you know, Chicago uh, Chicago deserved every bit of that victory. Uh, they, you know, they were just masterful in clutch situations. They they knew how to keep keep the game close, and um, you know they they just got it done. Um, you know, I think one while we're waiting for the boys from Vegas to call in, I want to play this one this um, Stanley Cup NPR hockey talk one last time because I love it so much, and I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, um, if I didn't give Steve Stearns credit one more time for the great work that he's done for our podcast, these NPR hockey talks that he's put together um, and the two actors that have lended their voice talents, their their names ex- escape me right now. Um, uh, actually, you know what? I, I think I see uh, Mark calling right now. So we'll play, we'll play the, M- the NPR hockey talk in a little bit. And on the line... <laughs> Right now, uh, is Mark. Mark, how are you doing? Good morning, sir. I'm doing great today. It's a beautiful day here in Las Vegas. How are you guys? I, I'm doing really well. It's it's nice and sunny up in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, this is Mark Warner. And for those of you that, don't, that aren't familiar with Mark Warner, uh, Mark is one of the co-hosts of the Vegas Ho- Hockey Podcast. And your other your other co-hosts. Um, Tom Cuddy, he's on the line as well. Yeah, good, good oh, day is. to you, sir. All right. Yes, so, sir. Yes, sir. Tom's with us. All right. All right. So we have both Mark and Tom. And uh, Tom, you're from Buffalo, is that correct? That's correct, sir. Yes. All right. So why don't you guys uh, tell us a little bit about, bit about yourselves? Um, when I, whenever I get a new guest on the line, I like to get a little bit about the, their background so our listeners get to know them a little bit. Um, Mark, tell me a little bit about your hockey hockey background and, and what led you to Vegas. Well, uh, I'm what you'd call a regular traditional hockey fan, born in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I then grew up in Southern California. So, yeah, there's like four of me, I think. Uh, there's four of you. Yeah, there's like four guys, I think, that fit my bio. Well, I grew up, I grew up in, in SoCal in the, in the 70s and 80s. Um, mm-hmm. watching the Triple Crown line, Rogie Vachon, Marcel Dijon, all those old boys with the Kings. Uh, you know, back in the day, we had like four channels. So if it was, it was either, you know, in the winter, it was the Lakers and the Kings. In the summer, it was Dodger baseball. And uh, anytime there was form blue and gold on the TV, I was, I was glued to it. And we got to 1980 and, you know, every American hockey fans know what happened in 1980, and I was 12 years old then. So it's right at that age where something can can grab a hold of you and I don't want to say change your life, but make a very lasting impact on, on you as a kid. And the 1980 hockey, time, hockey team sealed the deal for me. That's, uh, that was it. I was, I was hooked for life as a hockey fan. Uh, so, you know, growing, growing up in Southern California, I graduated high school and had a good opportunity to move out to Las Vegas in 1988. Um, mm-hmm. I was on the opening day staff there at the Mirage Hotel and Casino in 1989. 
And similar to uh, what everybody's saying about hockey in Las Vegas, everybody at the time was telling Steve Wynn that the Mirage wouldn't work. You're, you're way over your head with that kind of a thing. That's not what Las Vegas is about. You're, uh, you're crazy for trying to do something like that. Well, it worked out okay for Steve Wynn. And I think that hockey's going to work out for Las Vegas, too. Uh, Tom, if you want to jump in and, and tell them a little bit about yourself, uh, go for it. Oh, just to piggyback off the 80, courtesy of Mike Ramsey, Buffalo yeah, Sabres. There you go. Um, yeah, you, you know, just loved hockey. There's only two things in Buffalo, so it's hockey or Bills football, and that's pretty much it, you know. Paul? Hello? Hey, hey, are you there? I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I got you for a second. Yeah, my phone got disconnected. I apologize for that. Um, oh, okay. I don't know how much of that did you catch. Um, I, I caught like uh, maybe two minutes of it. <laughs> okay. But I, I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, it was still recorded. Um, right. And yeah, Catching my my phone just literally, yeah. Um, one of the one of the glitches of doing it with a cell phone sometimes is I I lost my connection. Sure. All right, so we know uh, the pain. We know the pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the miracle on ice is what hooked you, and then and later on you moved to Vegas. Tom, how about you? Yeah, same same thing. Uh, you know, there's only two things in Buffalo: Sabres hockey and Bills football. So it's uh, pretty pretty easy for me. <laughs> Yeah, and and how long have you lived in Vegas, Tom? Uh, ninety ninety seven ninety eight. Since ninety seven ninety eight. Capture the American dream, right, sir? There you go. Right. So, was it difficult for you guys going from markets that already had the NHL to going to a market that doesn't? I mean, how how have you existed without having an NHL team uh, in your locale? Thank God um, for Direct TV. Absolutely, right that, really, <laughs> I, that, that really saved your bacon there. That's I was going to yeah. say the same thing. Cable TV and satellite, and uh, as we got farther along, uh, live streaming video on the computer. Um, it's yeah. pretty easy nowadays to uh, keep up with the things that you love. The, the difference, uh, and and Tom mentioned Buffalo Bills football and the Buffalo Sabers coming coming out of L.A. I mean. We had two football teams. We had hockey. We had we had two baseball teams. We had basketball teams. Anytime you wanted to go do anything sporting events wise, any time of year, all year wrong, um, no problem. Where do you want to go? Get a ticket. Boom, you're there. Come coming right. here, um, man. Nothing at all, really. UNLV basketball there in. Uh, 88, 89, 90, 91 with those great national championship teams uh, kind of, kind of, you know, sated the need for live sporting events. But uh, ho- yeah. hockey's always been one of my first loves as sports. So it was, that was tough. We did get the Thunder in 1993 with Clint Malarchuk and goal. A uh, bunch, bunch of NHL talent came through this town from 93 to 99. And mm-hmm. I, for me, I was at every Thunder game I could get to. So it was a, it was a tough four or five year drought without hockey. But then we had the Thunders, and we had the Frozen Fury games with uh, the Kings and the Avalanche there at the preseason every year. And then we got the Las Vegas Wranglers in 2003, 
and that was a very consistent fan base uh, all the way up through 2013 when the Orleans refused them a new lease. Right. Um, so, Tom, growing up in Buffalo, who was your favorite player when you were growing up? Ooh, man, that's a tough one. But you got to give it to the living legend, Gilbert Perrault. Definitely oh. was the guy. Even Gretzky's favorite player was Gilbert Perrault. So, uh, really? Yeah, number 11. He was uh, amazing with the puck, right? Okay. All right. And, Mark, I, I'm going to ask you the same question. Is is it going to turn out to be the other guy that he mentioned, Gretzky? No. Um, no? No. Actually, if, if we're talking about growing up, it was Marcel Dion. Uh, okay. He, he finished with almost more points than anybody ever. I think he finished fourth overall in scoring when he hung his skates up. And growing up, uh, I hated the Oilers. They killed us every year, man. I, Gretzky, <laughs> you know, later on in 88, of course, he was well embraced. And I do have a number of 99 jerseys hanging in the closet right now but they're all silver and black. They certainly are not uh, Oilers blue, white, and orange, sir. So at, at that point, right. watching hockey, no, Gretzky and the Oilers were the sworn enemy. And, that, and that's a great trivia question, too, is who is the leading goal scorer in the NHL, French-Canadian-born? And most people pick Mario Lemieux, but it's actually Marcel Dion, sir. Yes, it is. Uh, you guys are really educating me because – um, I don't know how much if you followed our show at all, but I'm I'm a recent convert to hockey. I I just started following it uh, during last year's uh, Stanley Cup final. I got hooked on it during the final, and then uh, I followed it much more closely this year. And now, of course, I'm hoping to get a team in Seattle at some point. But you mentioned sure. your hatred of the you mentioned your hatred of the Oilers, and uh, how'd you guys how'd you if you hate the Oilers so much how'd you feel when uh, they they won that lottery this year for the upcoming draft. I'm, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let my Buffalo kid answer that one. Uh, that's, yeah, we expected that to be honest with you. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, just like Mark said, we expected that going in all along. <laughs> that's that's why Eichel was embraced early. We knew we weren't gonna get the number one pick. It's a rigged system. We all uh, understood that. <laughs> and we, you know, the year before we should have the number one pick and we didn't which worked out fine, but, you know, this this, this stuff happens in uh, Buffalo Sabres hockey. So it was it and, was expected and welcomed, so, yeah. I, I would say it happens in Buffalo sports. Would you agree, Tom? <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, it, the, the, the Buffalo Bills tradition is rich with similar incidents. <laughs> we, just, yeah. we just always get the short end of the stick. So we, we and embrace yeah. it. That. Yeah. And embrace we, it. We roll with the punches. Yeah, Sam Ryan well, was um, pretty good though. Yeah, so if I if McTavish was still in charge of the Oilers, I'd say you never know they might pass on McDavid, but uh, they hired the guy from Boston. I, I have a feeling he's <laughs> going to go ahead and grab McDavid from you. Um, yeah, I would but, say that's uh, a that's a lockdown. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. we were doing yeah. a draft preview podcast last night, and I jokingly uh, I jokingly said that Peter Shirelli there in Edmonton. You know they've had a lot of centers come down the pike already, so maybe he's going to go with go with the defenseman there with number one. <laughs> no, all, all kidding yeah. aside, Connor McDavid does. You know everything points to him being the real deal, uh, generational yeah. talent, and and Eichel as well. Buffalo's not getting 
the short end of the stick there with, with Mr. Eichel coming on board. That's uh, two players that will change the fortunes of their team. And, yeah. and, and Edmonton, it's been a long time coming, but I think, I think both those players uh, are, are just a cut above the other, the other three to five players that are available at the top end of this draft yeah. that are going to be franchise players for a long, long time. Yeah. And, and it doesn't hurt either when McDavid signs a seven-figure uh, deal with CCM, I believe. So that'll, that always that's works, cool. too. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, – that yeah, doesn't I hurt. I had a chance doesn't to watch hurt. McDavid. I finally had a chance to watch McDavid. Uh, the NHL Network was playing um, one of his playoff games. And at first, like the first period I'm watching, and I'm not really seeing anything spectacular like, like I was expecting, but as, it, as the game went on, he's just making these – he's just so nimble with that puck. And the passes that he can make and the things that he can, that he can do are just amazing. Um, I see it right now. I'm going to bring in my co-host has finally arrived, Otto Rogers. And Otto, say hi to Mark, Mark and Tom from the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Otto, how you doing, sir? Nice to finally talk to you. Yeah, this is a pleasure finally getting on. I've been away from the podcast for a couple, couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm glad to get back into it. Yeah. Oh, paid, you got yeah, paid vacation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got paid the exact same amount for, for for the last two weeks that he got that he gets every other week when he's on the show. <laughs> Isn't that right, Otto? You guys are right in our you guys are right in our salary bracket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so, it's good to talk to you, Otto. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. To you so we're ta- Otto, we're talking about the draft a little bit and uh Okay. We've got Tom here is a Buffalo fan, so he was uh uh, he missed out on Connor McDavid, but guys, tell me how how's Eichel going to affect Buffalo? I, I think he already has with uh, with the viral video of him slamming a beverage and uh, <laughs> a Bud Light to be specific. And I'm coming to you, Buffalo. So he's already been embraced. <laughs> and Yuri Himalev's daughter Olga put a saber shirt around him at the World Championships. That got a nice little viral video. So. He's already he's already embraced. He's already breaking down film. I think he picked out his locker. It's uh it's uh all good, all exciting. All right. So the people no. of Buffalo are welcoming welcoming him with open arms then. So Oh absolutely. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And I think Reinhardt too is gonna take a little heat off him. He's a second overall pick in last year's draft, so uh he's not gonna take the shoulder all the burden here, so he, he should be he should be good. Right, and guys, Mr. Gianta um, there as well, wearing the captain's letter. Uh, he he will uh, certainly embrace the young squire and uh, bring him along at the pace he needs to be brought on to, as, as a good captain will. Absolutely, yeah. We we protected Reinhardt last year, so he'll be protected and and uh, move him along slowly, and uh, time will tell, I guess. Right. So we know all about McDavid, and we've heard we've heard about Michael. Those are the two big names in the draft. But is there another name that we should look for um, in the first round that's going to have a major impact on the team, and who might that be? The uh, Tom, I'll go ahead and start with this one, and you can jump in in a minute. The uh, sure. there's, there's 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 the Mick Eichel there at the top two, and then there's a really solid 
group uh, actually of three players that we're going to be looking at. Uh, any order they could go is uh, Dylan Strom, uh, Little Mitchell Marner, and Noah Hannafin, defenseman, University of Michigan. All uh, three Boston of the College. Oh, Boston College. Boston College. No, that's right. That's right. My mistake. My mistake. Um, those any any of those three players has the chance to, to play in the National Hockey League next year. Um, depending on the situation they go to, Arizona's carrying the number three pick, and we they're, they're pretty defense heavy in their system as far as the young, really talented puck movers and two-way defensive players. So look for them to take Dylan Strom, who will be a first-line center in the National Hockey League for 15 years. The guy's, if any other draft, he'd probably be in the number one conversation overall, as would Mitchell Hannafin and Mitchell Marner. Uh, Mitchell Marner, I say little Mitchell Marner, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. <clears throat> Listening to the the pundits, if you will, uh, talk about the draft, they always refer to his size. He is 5'11", 165, and 18 years old. So, you know, look for him to gain an inch or two and 20 pounds or two. He carries the nickname The Magician because he is just dynamically skilled with the puck. He's, he, he looks, he's an Ontario-born kid, and I know that's attractive to Maple Leaf Nation. So we look for Marner to be taken number four overall and go to Toronto. And Noah Hannafin, all the way through the season, was the number three ranked prospect in North America, right behind McDavid and Eichel. So for him to fall into Carolina's lap at number five, they just have to be thrilled if the draft goes the way everybody's projecting it to go now. Tom, you, uh, you got to carry on any of that? Oh, no. I, I, yeah, I think we were solid agreed on the uh... – the top five there for sure. And the one guy we talked about yesterday was Lawson Krause. He was always, in the beginning of the season, always projected to be a top five, and a lot of people got him down to 10, 12 range. So it'll be interesting to see where he falls. Okay. Hey, Otto, you got any draft questions for these boys? Yeah. Um, I've seen, uh, just talking about our local guy here, uh, Matt Barzell, I've seen a lot of projections recently uh, pegging him at six at New Jersey. Now, if New mm-hmm. Jersey uh, takes um, – I heard they might take the the, the guy from um, – well, the other Western Hockey League guy, uh, Provorov. Um, yeah, Barzell, he's amazing talent. If Barzell doesn't go at six, where do you think the next landing uh, potential landing spot? Do you think San Jose might pick him up at nine, or maybe the Panthers at 11? I, I was. We were talking with a, a, a draft a draft expert from the hockey writers last night, and this, this exact question came up. New Jersey is a pivotal pick in this draft in the first hand picks. They could they could easily go Provorov, and then Philly with their brand of hockey. You're looking at a a six four two fifteen kid in Lawson Kraus, mm-hmm. and then Columbus is probably looking defense and then you bring in the Michigan kid Zach Wierenski. So nine right. uh number nine to San Jose would be uh the the next spot for Mr. Barzal there or Bartzal, I believe you said. Um, that's kind of that's kind of where it is, but you know, we we did our mock draft without trades. 
You know, just team, pick, go, slot it down the board. Number six, New Jersey, they 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 may be in the market to move back and pick up a couple other picks. And if yeah. a team like San Jose or, like you said, Florida wants to move up into that spot, or even Columbus with five picks in the first three rounds, they could put together a nice package to move up and take Proveroff, and that leaves uh, New Jersey moving back to number eight, and Bartok could very well go in the eighth spot too. Right. I've heard a, I heard a rumor, I'm not sure how legit this is, but I heard a rumor that Arizona is shopping that number three pick. Um, I, we we kind of – go ahead. No, I, I think it's because, like you said, Hannafin's kind of like the guy. or There's a lot of, like, really good players kind of like right after, you know, the big three or four. So maybe they feel like there's value, like dropping down, still getting, like, you know, a player like a Barzal or, you know, a pro rock or something like that or, you know, one of those other offensive talents kind of next year after, the you know, the top four or five guys. Yeah, well, the one quote I heard from, from the uh, GM there, I believe Mr. Tom, Maloney. In, Tom Maloney, uh, assistant Darcy Regeer. Okay, very good, sir. I, I believe it was Mr. Maloney. They did ask him, and he is taking phone calls for that number three pick. But he also said it would take someone's firstborn to pry it away. So by, <laughs> by shopping the pick may not be appropriate. Yeah. Uh, due diligence, listening to all offers, uh, may be more a more appropriate way to put it. And I believe Toronto is also uh, entertaining the fact that you know, with with Mr. Babcock coming on board and looking at a long, painful rebuild to quote to quote Shanahan and Babcock in their press conference there. Uh, you know, moving back out of that number four spot and picking up a couple good prospects and a couple other picks, uh, starting to load the cupboard for the hall that's in front of them. Uh, yeah. I heard some rumors Toronto may be moving back as well. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. It really, I mean, if you look at Barzal, uh, you know, he had, you know, he had to perform a little bit just due to some of his injuries. But before, before, before the whole McDavid versus Eichel talk, it was McDavid versus Barzal talk. Couple years ago, so I mean, yeah, you know, looking at Barzal, he's a little under, a little undersized. So you know, I'm not like you're talking about like the brand Philadelphia plays. I, you know, I don't know how well Barzal would fit in a system. He's a little smaller. I think something more wide open and a little more of a finesse team would work better for him. But um, I mean, that kind of talent. I mean, this draft. I mean, this this is like one of the best drafts I've seen in a while. You have legit players. Uh, probably gonna go number four, five, six, seven. That another draft years might go number one or two overall. So this is a great draft. That, that's exactly correct. And if you look at the next group too, they may be they the Pavel Zakas, uh Warinsky might fit in that next group. There's a yeah a, a, the kid from Finland, the right winger uh, uh Rant Rant Rantanen. That guy is a big beast of a power forward who's going to park in front of the net and just score goals for the next 10 years too so even even the next group a timo meyer is another fantastic talent um that that group uh that's going to go nine to 15 ish let's say we cut our, our draft pick or our draft preview off at two hours and 20 minutes and <laughs> we only covered the first we only covered the first 14 picks so oh, there's, there's there's all kinds of talent in this group that the farther through it you go, uh, this is going to be the deepest draft 
maybe in the ninety the ninety three draft, I believe is is the legendary draft, and also two thousand three. This this draft is incredible, and you could go down into the, into the second and third round, which I just neither Tom nor I had time to put that much into it. But uh, we already talked about our salary structure <laughs> based, on, based on the podcast. The, but uh, there, there, you're going to find some gems that are second, third, fourth round players that will play in the National Hockey League, and there's no question about that. Yeah, remember JB Ben was picked fifth in the fifth round, so I believe yeah. he did pretty good last year. Is that right? He did. He did. Well, you go back to uh, the what is it? The the Luke Robitaille draft. He went 171st overall, and like 10 picks in front of him, Brett Holt, about 160th overall. Yeah. So there's there's usually the deep drafts. There's some uh, there's some quality talent to be had, but this draft is really off the hook. No question. Yeah. Well, it's 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 really it's really great too for organizations to have really good scouting. That you know they can find those kind of diamonds in the rough, you know, out in Europe or some some like tier one level, you know, hockey club. You find these guys that maybe get drafted like eighth, you know, eighth round or ninth round, and like three or four years in the system, they come and they're you know they're great players. You know, I know Detroit. Detroit's really famous, you know, well known for being able to like find these like diamonds in the rough over in over in Sweden and like you know having them become huge players in the state. But absolutely. Absolutely. The uh the the Dean Lombardi group there in Los Angeles, uh also also is kind of maybe not scouring the European market as much, but right. uh the you know, his his second and third round picks, you look at Braden Shen, you look at uh Wayne Simmons mm-hmm. there playing great hockey with Philly. They went over there in the in the Mike Richards deal. Um and the Few a few other players that they picked up second. Jordan Nolan, Teddy Nolan's son, uh, came up in 2012 as a key member of of that Stanley Cup run. He was a seventh round pick, and yeah. Mike King in that same draft for the Kings was, I believe, a fifth round pick. So it, it, they're there to be had. They're there to be had, and, and uh, there may be more of them this year than any time in recent memory. Yeah. Right. Hey guys, I, I want to move on to the Stanley Cup uh, for a minute. Um, sure. You know, we've got a local, we've got a local guy, Tyler Johnson that plays, uh, for the lightning and he's one of the triplets and he did really well this year. And, uh, My Todd hero. Wiki is one of the, yeah, Todd Lightwicky is one of the executives there and he has Seattle connections as well. So I was kind of rooting for the lightning. Uh, why did the Blackhawks win that series? Tom, you want to go first on that one? Oh uh, yeah. I, I think, I think the obvious answer is, you know they've done it two times previous, and um, I think I think the thing is Mark and I were talking a while back, and Chicago buries their chances, and in this particular series, Stamkos and uh, the rest of the Lightning there, but Stamkos in particular, he, you know, rang one off the crossbar, had Crawford down, sprawling, couldn't couldn't bury it up high, and you just gotta you gotta bury those chances and. And they didn't, and those are game changers every time, especially the cup. Well said, sir. Well said. The uh, you mentioned Tyler Johnson, undrafted Tyler Johnson, undersized Tyler Johnson. All he did was finish in the top five in scoring in the league this year, ahead of his teammate Stephen Stamkos, by the way. Um, broken wrist in game two in that series, I think, made a huge difference. 
Um, ben mm-hmm. Bishop tearing his groin, I believe, limited his mobility. And, it, I mean, the, the, the Blackhawks did not, let me say that again, did not light up the Tampa Bay Lightning. But the, the goals that they were able to score, uh, a more mobile Ben Bishop can get his big body in front of some of those um, and, and stop those pucks. And I think those two injuries also played a big role in Chicago. And the other, the other thing, and I also, I also was rooting black or rooting lightning, but had picked Blackhawks in six earlier. Um, the pedigree there was uh, Coach Plinville, uh, number three all time in National Hockey League wins, has done it before in recently two previous Stanley Cups. Um, Taze and Kane, Taze, Jonathan Taze, probably the best captain in the league. Captain Sirius. Uh, they just, they will bend and they will not break. If you're going to, if you're going to put a champion out, they have to kill him. And if you look back in the Western Conference series, Anaheim had him down 3-2 and it, 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 all, all appearances was the Ducks were moving on and could not seal the deal and did not bury their chances. And I think that scene went, as Tom said, right on through to the Cup Finals where, uh, you know, Tampa lost game one at home and everyone was riding them off and then came back and won games two and three. And riding high, taking the momentum, and had had the great chance in, in game four to go up three to one and, and couldn't get it done, didn't bury their chances, right. and Chicago just right. keeps playing their game. They're not going to change what they do for anything that you do, have done, or will do. Um, they're rolling four defensemen for the majority of the playoffs, and it did not matter one bit. Uh, they yeah. do what they do, and they do it very well. And I think that the inexperience of Tampa Bay more so than anything and the injuries is how Chicago won the Cup again. Yeah. Yeah, I, cool. I think Otto also picked, picked the Blackhawks in six, didn't he, Otto? I did, I, and, and mostly because just their, their playoff experience, and you know these guys, like, uh, like the Vegas guys are saying, they they know how to get, you know, they capitalize on their chances and they know how to get it done. And when you have when you have a dynamic players like they have uh, with Taze and Kane and, and and Duncan Keith, when you have those guys on your on your side, I mean, you just you feel that the experience is in the end is gonna, you know, just having that experience of being. Uh, and the Stanley Cup is, is going to pay off in the end, and that's kind of what happened. Also, great goaltending too, um, which I remember from last year's Western Conference against the uh, the Kings. Um, you know, he he was really great. And I was like, okay, Chicago, they're you know, if if it's not going to be the Kings last the year before, it's going to be Chicago. And you know, he he came back and he had like, I want to say he gave up two goals over three games, or you know, something really. Over the last three games, he gave two goals or three goals, something really like a minuscule amount. And you know, if you can't if you can't score goals against against Blackhawks, you know eventually the Blackhawks, you know they're gonna you know they're gonna find a way to get their goals, and 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 they did. So they are the champions, which must be nice yeah. because I don't understand those. So three and six years or three and seven years, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned that series last year. Um, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned the Kings-Blackhawks series last year at seven games. Uh, 
classic series. The only way anybody was going to win that series was on a weird deflected puck, and that's you know that's what ended up happening there with Alec Martinez banking it off a of stick and off Nick Letty's jersey and going backwards against the grain on Crawford. Uh, that was one of the best goaltending series uh, in my recent memory. That was just ridiculous. And just to go a little further earlier in this in this year's playoffs and down the stretch, uh, Scott Darling had taken Corey Crawford's job from him and, in fact, had better numbers in the first two rounds than Corey Crawford did. And credit Coach Quinville for, A, having the guts and courage to pull your Stanley Cup winning goaltender when he was struggling and going with a, a obviously untested young goaltender in the playoffs who did get them past Nashville and then got them through the first couple games in Minnesota. And then when he struggled – Credit Coach Quinville again for going right back to Crawford, and he refound his form, and and that is probably, you know, I listed injuries and experience. Uh, Corey Crawford could have won the Conn Smythe Trophy uh, if Duncan Keith didn't get it. He did play fantastic in that series. Right. So, guys, um, you got one of the things that uh, our two podcasts have in common, and. I mean, I mean, obviously they're both hockey podcasts, so we have that in common. But the the big thing we have in common is that we're both doing hockey podcasts, and, and neither one of us have a team. Um, <laughs> and, and, and a man without that, a country, sir. Yeah, you you guys at least have steel coming out of the ground. We've got our own arena deal in the works up here. We just don't have an NHL first scenario, except in Tequila. Um, so you guys, it, according to most rumors, people think that Vegas could have an expansion announcement maybe sometime uh, this fall. Um, and uh, so we know you guys are we, you guys have momentum going towards that. And then uh, the city of Glendale went crazy last week and yeah. tried to break their lease. And, and we don't know, you know, we've got at the end of the podcast today, we're going to have a Seattle attorney give us his take on uh, the court case that's going to happen down there. But what do you guys see happening down there? I mean, do you think um, that that the Coyotes could actually leave Arizona? Do you, uh, and if for, exa- if, for example, they wanted to go to Vegas, um, is there a temporary place for them to play in Vegas? Tom, uh, this, this is your this is yours, man. This is all you right here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> n- number one, I I'm probably one of like six people who actually read the 187-page briefing that the uh, the Coyotes filed in Arizona District Court to ask for the temporary restraining order and the injunction and the reinstatement of the lease. Uh, let me just put a public thank you to my hockey widow wife who <laughs> allows me to do things <laughs> like that. Um, uh, they, did, they did get their injunction, so as of right now, the lease is reinstated in all its glory. Um, there is a, I believe it was a $3.75 million payment from the city to the Coyotes due July 1st. And their response to the restraining order was, okay, you can, you can institute that, but please don't make us pay that $4 million. Um, we really don't want to, was basically the gist of their legal argument. Um, and that has not been ruled on yet. Um, as far as whether they would leave, Glendale, uh, I know that the National Hockey League is going to force that market. And as a matter of fact, it, reports came out uh, this week that 
the mayor of Phoenix has now reached out to Mr. LeBlanc and has offered to include them in the arena talks that are ongoing with the Phoenix Sun for a downtown Phoenix arena that's in the same district as the Arizona Diamondbacks baseball stadium, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. little walk of streets and shops and clubs that, that if you put another arena down there, that's going to absolutely help the Coyotes. Um, as far as there is, there is an arena here that's NHL suitable. We host a Frozen Fury uh, series of games here every year that sell out at the MGM Grand Garden, and it seats 17,000 for hockey. And they uh, two, two or three or or one, depending on which teams can get the schedule in. Always the Kings and Avalanche. In recent years, the Rangers have jumped in as well, and they do a little round robin preseason. Uh, last few games of the preseason before uh, heading off to their respective cities. So we do have an arena here that is hockey ready that um, the Coyotes, you know, in a, in a theoretical world could come here temporarily while that, while that situation in Arizona is straightened out. But uh, it's my belief that they're going to stay. They're not uh, Glendale has a loophole that they're trying to force their case with on the fact that a city attorney who is involved with negotiating that contract is now an employee of the Coyotes, which the Arizona State Legislature has a law where they have the, the right, if a significant conflict of interest has occurred, to quote the documents, um, they can void the lease, and that's what they're going after. But they have publicly said they're not. They don't want to. They don't want to lose the team. They want to renegotiate the lease. Which, when you come out publicly in your in your city council members saying that, and then that's going to hurt their court case. Try and try and claim a conflict of interest after you say, "Oh, this is just a renegotiating tactic." That's they they they've made a big legal blunder at that point. As from the people yeah, that I, I agree. talked to, and I yeah. think the Coyotes stay in Arizona. And to to go back to the other way, I believe that everything that's going on in Las Vegas, we have the strongest bid in North America for National Hockey League team. Our arena is mm-hmm. privately funded 100%, and I don't need to tell you guys what getting politicians involved in that kind of stuff does. Um, oh, yeah. The Quebec City the Quebec City arena is 100% publicly funded. The Glendale arena was publicly funded, and our arena is privately funded. It's 100% done deal. It's They're wrapping the outside now, and it should be done within a, within probably a week or two of, of having the whole exterior wrapped. So it's on schedule for spring 2016. Our ownership group will privately fund the $500 million franchise fee. So our our financial bid is stronger than any other city in North America. The ticket drive has gone fantastically well. We're at almost 12,000 season tickets to the private sector. That is not counting corporate casino uh, bulk purchases or suites. Our luxury suites Mm -hmm. have sold out for 10 years. Our lower bowl is wow. sold out in the private sector. Our upper bowl is sold out in the private sector. And there is another 2,500 commitments from different uh, corporations here in town. Zappos makes their headquarters here. There's some film industry executives that, that have bought up blocks of seats. And our founding 50, which is another 750 seats each. Our, right now, our ticket drive is almost at 14,000. And the main point of that is we don't have a team. You already said it. Um, that would be like announcing a 41-date winter concert series, 
putting tickets on sale and saying, we don't have a band. But <laughs> buy our tickets, please. How many tickets yeah. do you think they would sell for that winter concert series? Probably not as much as Mr. Foley has sold for hockey here in Las Vegas. So those, yeah. all those things, and there's a whole bunch more reasons that I could go on about, but I don't believe we deserve a two-time retread team here in Las Vegas. With everything that we have going for us in the strongest bid in North America, expansion, giving us a, a, the first major league franchise in Las Vegas that we can call our own, I think we deserve a brand-new expansion team that can grow with us as a hockey market and as a community. And as much right. as we like the Phoenix Coyotes defense, we're Which not we looking do. to can. Yeah, we're not looking to cannibalize another team. We're not. That's no. not our intent. Interest. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, I think uh, Seattle's the same way for the most part. We would we would prefer expansion for the most part. I mean, we we've been through. We know what it's like to lose a team up here, and you know we're not anxious to uh, inflict that on another town. Although. Absolutely. We've also learned, you know, we also know that we don't have any control over what we get. We're, we're going to have to take what we get in the end, but um, we prefer expansion too. And I, I really think that Seattle and, and Vegas are going to be expansion partners at some point. I think Seattle might be a year or two behind you guys, but I, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, I would, I would agree with that. Be, um, the, the good, the good thing about that is, and, I did have a chance to uh, have lunch with Mr. Foley, the uh, ownership here, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I asked him, I asked him exactly that: Are we waiting for Seattle? And he's limited on what he can say. Obviously, there's public consumption and there's off-the-record stuff. Bottom line is, he 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 would love to have us go in, and then have you guys go in. It's just basically yeah. for the on-ice product. We would have our own expansion draft, and then a year right. or two later, when you guys' arena is ready, you would have your own expansion draft. So we wouldn't be trying to share out of the same pool of players, and it would, dil- uh, you know, the old argument against expansion is, oh, it's going to dilute the league. Well, if you stagger the entry, it gives the, you know, the the NHL ready players in the AHL uh, and junior hockey league, it gives that that a, a year or two to build back up the talent base again, if you will. Uh, right. And you know we would we're on record many times, and you guys know we would love to go in with Seattle as our sister city. Uh, if, if we go first, great. If, if you guys go first, great. If you get your arena done, um, one way or another, the league needs two teams in the West. And I think the leaders in the clubhouse right now have uh, Las Vegas one, Seattle one A. If you guys can get that that arena going down there, that'd be fantastic for us as well and for the National Hockey League. I think. What a fan base you guys have, and you have a built-in rivalry there in Vancouver, of course, that that balances the conference, and it just seems like a natural fit. Right, right. Well, guys, uh, this has been fun. I hope we can do it again. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, I definitely. The, the timeline. Our next, our next bigger announcement here is coming next week at the Board of Governors meeting. Um, look for them to formally initiate the expansion process, which the vote uh-huh. will be held here at the MGM Grand next week. So that's our next that's our next milestone is uh, home right home ice advantage already. Hey, hey, it's gotta be MGM Grand. Bring it <laughs> Love it. Love it. So that's the next that's our next step in the process and it's gonna right. it's gonna work itself out. But I believe we will get a team. And I also believe Seattle yeah, right. will get a team. 
Right. All right, guys. Um, I definitely enjoyed this. And Otto, I, I assume you enjoyed it too. Oh, no, it's great. And, I mean, it's great talking hockey with yeah. the Vegas guy. Yeah, and I, I think we should do this every once in a while. Yeah, yeah we should do this once in a while. Got to come on, do our show. All right, just let just let us know when and where, and and we'll be there. How about All right, we uh, a, a post draft for UFA show. Okay, great. And guys, what what is your website address? What's your website address? Oh, if you want to, uh, if, if anybody out there in the beautiful Pacific Northwest wants to jump on and and catch all things Vegas hockey. You can find us at at Vegas Hockey Pod on Twitter, or um, I do a blog too that kind of supports our show, uh, VegasHockeyPodcast.com. Come on in, say hello. All right, thanks guys, and we'll talk to you next time. All right, uh, thank you. Much, thanks guys. for having us. All right. That was that was Tom and Mark from the Vegas Hockey Podcast and Otto. wasn't they weren't they great? Oh yeah, I mean it's, it, it's they had an abundance of knowledge about the game and also about what's going on on the ground. I mean all the facts with all the corporate sponsorships and and how they uh, sold out the the luxury suites for ten years. I mean I've, I and these are the things that I'm reading about Vegas at least at a corporate level in regards to like the private the private sector seats and things like that, like they're just you know, they're they're doing gangbusters, you know. They, there's yeah. Las Vegas has like a name, the name that, you know, you, you know, it's one of those kind of names that you say Las Vegas and you know instantly there's like an instant name branding recognition opportunity uh for a company. So I mean I, you know, it's great that they're yeah. getting all this um you know, attention yeah. and, and all those tickets. You know, and anyone that says, anyone that still clings to this thing that that Vegas is a red herring and that they're not going to get the, not going to get a team, you're crazy. Oh no. Uh, no you don't you don't do a ticket drive like that, and then not award them a team. I mean, I mean, these people lay down building... these people lay down deposit money. Yeah. And so this is this is a real thing, and they, they're going to get expansion, and um, most likely they're going to get it uh, before Seattle because their arena is being built already. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, hopefully Seattle will join them in the near future. But, uh, Otto, yeah, uh, we're gonna, we need to take a, go ahead. No, I was just about to say they, uh, uh, they, you know, they mentioned the number one, uh, fact for me and not coming at the same time because we don't want two teams in one expansion draft. So if we have to go expansion, then we, then I would love to stagger it. That's, that was their main thought too. Right. All right, Otto. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, um, we're going to have we're going to be joined by Paul Snyder. And actually, uh, he sat down with me a couple of days ago, and he gave me his legal take on uh, what's going on in Glendale. Paul Paul Snyderman, for those of you who aren't aware, is a Seattle attorney, and he has rich roots with um, the Save Our Sonics movement back in the day. Uh, he was involved with Brian Robinson and the boys. Uh, went back to New York once or twice, talked to the league and such. Uh, but he's going to give us his legal take on what's going on in Glendale. And before we go to that, I'm going to, I got to play one more, uh, one more instance of uh, hockey talk on NPR. Uh, I started to mention this earlier in the show, but Steve Stearns has done such a great job of putting these together for us and the actors that he, that he put, put together for us as well. And this is the final NPR hockey talk of the season. And I wanted to play it one more time uh, just for kicks. Mm-hmm. 
Good afternoon. I'm Tiffany Amber Gleason. And I'm David Bowie Letterman. We'd like to welcome you to this special Stanley Cup edition of Hockey Talk here on WEPC NPR Seattle. Today's edition is indeed a special one for our listeners in advance of next week's season-concluding tilt between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Chicago Blackhawks, we've asked noted hockey expert George Jefferson Washington Lincoln Stone to join us. George, how are you this afternoon? I'm moving on up, David and Tiffany. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> the pleasure is ours. George, perhaps you could begin by telling our listeners and us the history of the Stanley Cup. Mm, certainly. Well, unlike the trophies awarded by the other major professional sports leagues of North America, a new Stanley Cup is not made every year. Instead, the winning team keeps it until the new champion's crown. It's also unusual among trophies in that it has the names of all of the winning players, coaches, management, and club staff engraved on its chalice in teeny tiny print so small that even ants need magnifying glasses to read the name of the towel attendants and that guy that cleans the locker room toilets. Fascinating. Since the 1914-15 season, the Cup's been in one combined 95 times by 18 active NHL teams and five defunct teams. The Montreal Canadiens have won the Cup a record 24 times and are currently the last Canadian-based team in the NHL to win the Cup after winning it in 1993. The Stanley Cup was not awarded in 1919 because of the Spanish flu epidemic and also in 2005 as a consequence of the 2004-05 NHL lockout. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thankfully, the only epidemic threatening the Cup this year might be an epidemic of goals, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) The Ning boasts a very impressive offense with team speed throughout their front line and a solid defense. Aptly summarized, David. However, if any team is up to the task of stopping Tampa Bay, it's the Chicago Blackhawks. They split the regular season series with Tampa, winning 3-2 in a shootout on November 11th and losing 4-0 on February 27th. Both teams won their conference championships in seven games each, so the two finalists are evenly matched. Trenchant insight indeed, Tiffany. Uh, This is probably the best matchup that hockey fans could hope for. I mean, you know, no disrespect to fans of the Anaheim Ducks or the New York Rangers, Mm -hmm. but starting this Wednesday, June 3rd, we're all going to be treated to a fantastic Stanley Cup. I know at the Bowie Letterman household, we couldn't be more excited. (laughs) I'm practically bursting out of my Birkenstocks with glee. (laughs) Normally, I reserve the first week of June for switching out the bumper stickers and getting the tires rotated on my Subaru Forester. But this year, I've done all that a week early. That's how excited I am for this matchup, gentlemen. Hear, hear. I couldn't have put it better myself, Tiffany. I don't think hockey fans have been this excited since they figured out how to put cheese inside pizza crust. Oh, speaking of game day eats, my kids are big-time Chicago fans. So we're going to be grilling a whole pack of vegan not dogs with gluten-free buns, vegan A's, and home-crocked hemp seed mustard. You're all welcome to join us. Yeah, that, uh, that's okay. I think I'm developed an intolerance towards soy. I, I, I'm sorry. Well, that was an uncomfortable silence. Coming up after the break, we review the possible top picks for the upcoming NHL draft and whom is slated to go first overall. Connor McDavid 
or Jack Eichel. Once again, I'd like to thank our correspondent, George Jefferson Washington Lincoln Stone, for joining us this segment. Uh, my pleasure. Yes, thank you, George. This is Hockey Talk on NPR. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Sin Bin, with your host, recently returned from his forced deportation to Canada and that country's subsequent refusal to accept him, Paul Rogers! See us! Alright, let's show them what we got, guys. Get out there on the ice and let them know you're there. Uh, We're back on the Seattle Sin Bin. I want to thank everyone for joining us again. And on the line, I have uh, Mr. Paul Schneiderman, and he is a local attorney in, in the Seattle area. And, uh, Paul, before we get into some of the uh, legal issues down in Glendale, um, you have you have a rich history with the, the Save Our Sonics movement. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what your background is in the Save Our Sonics movement? Yeah, sure, Paul. Thanks for having me on your show. Um, I got involved in Save Our Sonics as a fan, and I became friendly with the co-founders. Another attorney, Aaron Wolf, got involved as well. And a lot of legal issues were coming up during this 2007-2008 era. So it just turned out where where Save Our Sonics uh, had a couple of attorneys involved, and Aaron and I were asked to comment on some of the legal issues, and it was a very uh, interesting experience. Unfortunately, we did not prevail in keeping the team in Seattle, but it was certainly a uh, interesting experience for sure. All right, and um, I, I think we talked on the phone last week, and you mentioned that you actually went back to New York for some of the meetings. What was it? What was it like being in some of those rooms? Well, it was kind of interesting. Um, you know the the NBA didn't really want us to go into all all the details about it, but it was it was interesting. We made a little pitch to the um, NBA about the Seattle cause, and and I you know we were basically there as a fan advocacy group. We were not there as big business people or as elected officials. So it was uh, kind of the volunteer our representatives in the volunteer army were there, and uh, the NBA just kind of took the position that our Washington State Legislature wasn't doing enough to keep the team. Okay. Yeah, and that uh that turned out to be prophetic uh, and they it, it's a shame. I mean, we it's a shame we wound up in this position and you know, I'm watching the situation going on over in Milwaukee right now and uh I I feel bad for the fans over there because I I know what they're going through. Um and I I don't know how it's going to turn out over there, but um my thoughts are with them tonight and um you know, um one of the things integral to uh, the movement to bring the Sonics back is getting our arena built, and uh, one of the, and, and that's kind of created an interesting marriage between uh, Sonics fans in Seattle and uh, hockey fans in Seattle because uh, both communities want to get an arena done. And uh, a couple of years ago, it looked like we we're going to get the Kings, and that didn't work out. And then just a couple months later, it looked like we we're going to get, we might get the Coyotes. And the city of Glendale um, approved this lease that 
uh, uh, that caused the Coyotes to stay down there uh, with the unusual provision that the city actually pays them to play in an arena that they they own. And then just in the last couple weeks, it's gotten crazy again. The city's voted to break that lease. Uh, the Coyotes got an injunction on it, and and now I'm reading the city's asking the court to let it to let them skip a payment or two. Uh, what what's as a as a legal person as a as an attorney, uh, what's your impression of what's going on down there? Sure, Paul. Let me give you a couple caveats. First of all, I'm not a licensed attorney in the state of Arizona, and I also have not read all the pleadings in this case, but I can probably give you a, a general take on the whole dispute going on between the city of Glendale and the Coyotes. Um, we ha- there's a 15-year lease down there, but everything I'm reading, I've read some of the legal pleadings, is the city of Glendale basically has buyer's remorse and want to try to get out of the lease. And mm-hmm. they brought up this unique Arizona statute where if a state employee who is involved, significantly involved, in a uh, particular deal with another party and if the person or persons go to work for the other party that was involved in the contract within three years, that gives the uh, municipality a, a chance to get out of the whole contract deal. So that's part, probably part of the dispute, or I should say is part of the dispute going on down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what are your impressions? Do you, uh, I mean, recognizing that you're, that you're not in the bar down there and you're not licensed down there, but, um, what, what's your impressions of the case? Do you think that the coyote that the coyotes uh, have a legitimate beef in their uh, litigation that they filed, or do you think that uh, Arizona that the city of Glendale was actually? I mean, do you think they have a chance? Who do you think is going to win in court? This is going to be a fascinating summer to watch. Yeah, let me, let me give you a take on this, Paul. From where I'm at right now, based on what I've reviewed, and if I give a little bit of a mushy answer, part of it is because a lot of us are still reviewing everything that's going on. Legal cases, believe me, can evolve pretty quickly based on new facts and evidence. It seems that looking at the statute, looking at a very, very literal reading of the statute, it seems that if a city employee, or I should say a state employee, is involved in a contract and then goes to work for the opposing party, it gives the city a a chance to get out of the contract within three years. But Mm -hmm. the language in that statute um, uses the language significantly involved in the initiation or the development of the contract itself. So whether this former city attorney who now works for the Coyotes was significantly involved, that's probably one of those legal issues. It's open to some interpretation. And also, I believe that this Mr. Kindle, the the former Glendale city attorney went to work for their Arizona Coyotes, was not actually um, a city of Glendale employee at the time of the formation of the contract. I think he was working as a consultant. So it's a little vague whether Mm -hmm. Mr. Kindle was even a an official employee at that time. I think he, he got a severance package through about August of that year, 2013. Yeah. So we're dealing with a lot of statutory and factual ambiguities there, Paul, on that question. Now let me bring something up to you, and this has not come up a lot in the analysis of this case that I've read in the media, but in the um, pleadings I read that the Coyotes wrote, this issue came up. I'm very curious to find out what type of specific performance clause is in this contract. In 
one of the legal pleadings I read the other day, there was a reference to a specific performance contract. And specific performance is basically a way to force parties to perform a contract. It's like a no buyout clause. So it, that came up. It came up very heavily in the Sonics lease dispute in 2008. It came up in the Seahawks lease dispute in the 1990s. So I know a lot of these sports leases have a specific performance clause, and it can be a way to to basically lock people into a contract. It's called an equitable remedy, specific performance. So mm-hmm. I, I'd like to review that and see if there's a specific performance clause here, Paul, or the details right. of it, I should say. Right. And uh, so I, when when the city was uh, doing their meeting when they decided to break the lease, or at least attempt to break the lease, um, they – the reason that they're giving is the statute that you're talking about, which is the conflict of interest uh, provision with the employee who later went to work for the, work for the team. But so in one breath, they're saying that's the reason they're doing this. But in another breath, in the same sentence, oftentimes the, these councilmen were saying we wouldn't be here if the coyote, if the coyotes would have been willing to renegotiate. Um, do you think that a court uh, or a judge might look at that statement and basically use that to shoot holes in your, in Glendale's entire argument that they're not doing this because of the statute, but be, but actually because they want to renegotiate the deal. Could that hurt them? Let me answer that in a second. Let me just clarify on the significance of specific performance, <clears throat> that it could be a way to lock the city of Glendale and the Coyotes, for that matter, into the contract. There is a clause, apparently, where after five years that the city of Glendale loses, I believe, $50 million. It's an out clause. But uh, mm-hmm. besides that out clause... Um, there could be a way to, to, to literally lock uh, the city of Glendale in, into the deal. Um, back to your right. the question that you asked, um, that's an interesting question, Paul. Um, it, it seems to me the city of Glendale is almost trying to renegotiate the whole thing in the media, and mm-hmm. it, it, it raises an issue whether that – because offers to compromise are generally not admissible at, like, at a trial or a legal proceeding. So the fact that Party A offered Party B – some settlement money. A jury or a judge is not supposed to be privy to that or supposed to hear that. But here, the fact they're trying to negotiate it in the media, um, it, it raises some questions about what their motivations are. So generally, an offer to try to resolve a case does not come in at trial. But here, it's kind of unique that, that the city of Glendale is promoting it so much, what their agenda is. Yeah, yeah. Um. Now, you mentioned that uh, um, specific performance was one of the cruxes of the issue with the Sonics when when they left town. Um, and, of course, we all remember the court case, and that got settled out of court at the last minute. And we'll never know what would have happened. But um, as someone who followed that, that case very closely and as an attorney, um, do you think we would have won that case? Do you think Seattle would have won that case? You know, I've been asked that question several times by a lot of folks, Paul, and I really think the city was going to get that specific performance remedy. Um, Clay Bennett's legal team did a terrific job, led by Brad Keller. They're very talented and able trialers, but the literal language of the contract that the city of Seattle had with the Sonics was pretty clear that the terms and conditions can be enforced through 2010. And one of those is the team was to play at Key Reina through 2010. So I, I still mm-hmm. think, despite 
some issues about the city's trial performance versus uh, Clay Bennett's legal team. I, I still think the city had was probably going to prevail on that. It just seemed to me that that the judge had a good basis for the remaining two years of that contract. But we'll never know. We'll never know. And of course, there's no. I guess there'd be no guarantee that we would have wound up keeping the team anyway. Very true. Very true. If 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 it could have been a short term win, but a lot of people believe that maybe the Oklahoma group could have sold or maybe it could have put the parties more back at the table for a possible immediate replacement team for, for Seattle. I mean, there's all sorts of scenarios that could have happened. I know that the a couple of the Oklahoma owners got hit really hard when the energy industry crashed in, I think, late 2008. So there, it's one of those things in life we'll, we'll just never know. Yeah. Um, so... I want to touch briefly on uh, the Seattle situation. We've got um, two arenas in the works right now. We've got, of course, the Soto Arena that we've been talking about for a few years, and we have the FEIS done on that. I think there was a review meeting done today. Haven't heard anything about the the outcome. We've also got one uh, where there's an environmental review going on in Tequila for it, and uh, we should hear more about that later in the year. Um, But when when talking about um, the Soto Arena specifically, um, there, there's definitely been some resistance uh, from uh, the port and the Longshoremen's Union and citizens for more important things. And there's been talk, uh, and everyone thinks that at some point one of those groups or maybe more of those groups is going to take the Soto Arena to court to try and prevent that. What are your impressions on any kind of legal case that they might have against Soto? Yeah, I, I'm not a land use attorney, um, but I've looked at some of the materials that have gone out that have gone on since Chris Hansen's legal. Um, I'm sorry, since Chris Hansen's arena plan was announced, there was an effort to try to throw out the uh, the environmental impact statement back. I think in 2013. So there has already been some litigation on this. It seems to me that the the Hansen ownership group is going through the right procedures. They got the. Um, environmental impact statement approved uh, with some recommendations several weeks ago, and that was a long process. I think it was like a, what, 700-page report or something. So it strikes mm-hmm. me they're, they're playing it by the book, and they're going through the the process. And so, it, you know, it's it's possible there could be some challenges. But, I, I you know, one thing in this, this whole Hansen proposed arena, there's no law or no statute that says that Hansen cannot build his arena in that spot. So it kind of comes down more to some mitigation questions about, you know, who's going to pay for certain roadway improvements, th- things of that nature. So, but right, right now I think it seems, strikes me that that the Hanson's ownership group are probably in a pretty solid legal position. Yeah, yeah, and I I really think that most of the roadblocks are behind us on on, on this deal. It's just a matter. I mean, the biggest roadblock uh, just seems to be acquiring a team, and uh, you know we'll see what happens there, but. Uh, the whole Hanson deal, it seems like there's kind of might be some more political roadbacks and legal roadbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, want, I do want to thank you for coming on, and I want to thank you for all the work you did for Save Our Sonics back in the day. Uh, obviously, we all wish it would have turned out better, uh, but we we have what we have, and we're, and we're moving on, and I think we're eventually going to get not just the NBA, but the NHL in town. Um, so... 
Paul, I hope you can come on again, uh, come on the show again in the future. I'm sure that there's going to be more legal issues to talk about uh, because it seems like whenever we're talking about arenas and things like that, uh, a lot of the conversation moves on to the legal forum. So I hope you can come back someday. Very true. Thanks, Paul, for having me on. You take care. All right, that was Paul Schneiderman. And uh, when we come back from the break, uh, we're going to wrap all this up and we'll we'll get to that. So stay tuned. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Drop that puck! Drop that puck! Drop that puck! Drop that puck! You've just been sent to the sin bin with your host, Paul Rogers, who is a college graduate. You went to Princeton, we're all Eastern, weren't you, Ned? That's what it said in the yearbook, Jim. Final segment of today's special Saturday edition of the Seattle Simbin, and it's been a good show. Uh, we had a great conversation with the with the boys from the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and then uh, uh, we just had some insight given to us by local Seattle attorney Paul Schneiderman. Talked about what's going down going on in Glendale, what his impressions are of that. Talked about potential litigation prospects uh, against the Soto Arena. Uh, I don't know what Paul had to say there. Yeah, you know what? He he's obviously taken quite a quite a look at uh, some of the legal briefings and documents in Glendale. Um, he talked about I think one of the key pieces that he talked about interesting to me is the um, the specific of you know the, that conflict of interest that that clause you know and 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 um, you know. My, you know, my question, you know, my question, if, if I would have been able to talk to him, and, and hopefully I get to talk to him someday, um, is does when 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 the when the Coyotes lawyer when he said that the city waived the right uh, to use or wait something about waiving their right to use a conflict of interest in regards to Mr. Sindel, um does. Does the state statute? I mean, does the state statute allow you to waive waive that right? Waive that right to use a conflict of interest. That that would be my biggest question. Is that something that could happen? Can they say like, yeah. we're going to waive this, but like the state law, it, it takes preemptive. You know, it, it preempts any kind of like rules or like waiving of conflict of interest, right? So like, I know the state of Washington, there's there's certain there's you know certain state laws, that, and then sometimes the city would go in and they would put it on law. Um, which basically preempts the state law and the state constitution will come back and say, like, you're preempting the state law, it's done. So my question is, is legally, um, can, can the city of Glendale waive conflict of interest in the face of that state, the state statute about the conflict of interest? That's, I mean, that's yeah. the biggest question, because I don't know, because that would be one of the kind of key pieces of if this, how far this, you know how far this thing goes. You know if if state law statute says no, you, yeah, we, we're giving the municipality the right to waive that clause, then you're done. Or is it one of those situations where the the you know the city probably didn't have the right to waive that clause, and and the state statute kind of preempts everything. So 
that would be one of my biggest biggest questions about that. And um, yeah. you know, and here's you know, and the biggest thing about the whole Glendale and and the Coyotes situation is, even if the Coyotes win. That is like that. That relationship is just is beyond broken. I mean, there's no way they yeah. can go back. You know. Yeah, it, it's, coyotes, done. it's done. It's done. Yeah, I, so. I do think that. I think that. Uh, I think Glendale's going to get creamed in court. Frankly. Uh, yeah. You know, for for one thing, I'm, in one breath they're saying this is about that statute, but they're admitting publicly that they're really doing this to get the Coyotes to renegotiate the. Yeah, uh, I don't know yeah. what judge is going to not just laugh in their face with that. So I, I think that. they're going to yeah. lose. I think they're. I think it's going to cost Glendale money, and they're going to lose the team anyway. And I, I kind of think they're going to wind up in Phoenix. I kind of think that they're going to get together with the Suns and and build something in Phoenix together. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to wind up in Seattle. But you know, it. I, I think it was a stupid decision for them to to do this because I, I think they're going to still wind up paying a bunch of money uh, and lose yep. the team anyway. But here's how stupid they were for approving this deal in the first place two years ago, Otto. Earlier this yeah. week, their credit rating improved just by <laughs> initiating this process. So creditors looked at them and said, hey, they're trying to get out of this lease. Let's improve their credit credit rating. That's how bad this lease was for Glendale. So yeah, I don't blame them for I, trying to get out of it, but but they're going to lose. Yeah. Legally, I don't know. How strong, you know, that statute is. If, if, like you said, if they're like trying to negotiate through, through the public court of opinion, if that would impact that, like if, you know, if, if the judge kind of looked at the letter of the law, they like, yeah, okay, well, he did go work for the other side. He did like, and like Paul said, like, you know, like how involved is that person? Like this kind of one of the fuzzy things is how involved is that person? With that contract, you know, and and, and yeah. you know, like you said, depending on the judge you get. If they get the judge and, and that like, you know, tends to side with municipalities or tends to uh, side on on the side of the state and the state statute. I mean, it could go either way. But I think the biggest thing is, I think I think the, what we know is going to happen is um, the Coyotes are not going to play in Glendale. If they lose, they're not playing in Glendale. If they win, they're not going to play in Glendale. You know what I'm saying? So either way, I don't think the the Coyote the Coyotes get call. Glendale home, the situation is, you know, Phoenix makes probably the most most likely sense because, I mean, they'll still be in the desert. Uh, but if they can't get anything figured out there, I mean, you know, who knows? You know, Las Vegas, you yeah. know, like, uh, like we're talking about the Vegas guys, um, their arena is pretty much done, you know. I mean, they, they wouldn't be in yeah. an ideal situation. Portland has a And they home. do have a temporary uh, home. Yeah, so and, and, and Portland that. has a, you know, and Portland has the motor center. They're ready to go. You know, I you know I agree with you. I don't think uh, the Coyotes are likely for Seattle, but you know, I mean, you never know if you if never the know. owners you never know if there's if it's a relocation situation and the owners feel like they can make more money in Seattle in the long run than in Portland. Um, I mean, especially you know you know what I'm saying. Like if they it, it kind of depends on where the owners if they if they're not going to sell, if they just want to relocate and not sell. It kind of depends on where they want to go. If they see that Seattle is one of the top uh, business, you know, is one of the one of the cities with the you know with the greatest amount of uh, resources and the greatest amount of you know uh, you know you know large corporations and Fortune 500 companies and things like that, where they could see a lot a large ticket base. When we see Amazon coming in, we see all these different media just expanded to uh, West. I mean, you, so you see all these you know 
synopsis, in the end, if it makes more sense to kind of play in Key Arena for a year and then move into, like, Soto Arena, if that makes more sense, you know, they yeah. might choose Seattle. But I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. putting my, place my bets on that, so. No, no, no. But All right, Otto. Um, oh, go ahead. I, I want to say one thing that uh, Paul uh, Schneiderman said that uh, he kind of, kind of stunned a little when he said we, 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 were, we would probably likely win that uh, the 2008 uh, case against the, against uh, Clay Bennett. That kind of oh, yeah. that kind of hurt. That kind of hurt because if we yeah if we you know, yeah. <laughs> I I think until we get a team back, Otto, that's always going to kind of hurt. Yeah. Um, oh, and tell you that big yeah you know I I think that uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we would have won the case or not, but I do think um, that would have brought us two years. And I think the economy tanked in those two years. I think that Aubrey McClendon lost a ton of money in those two years. And I think they would have been open to selling to Steve Ballmer. And I don't think we'd be here right now. But we'll never know. All right, Otto. Um, Thanks for coming on at the last minute today, by the way. Um, Not a problem. We we were trying to take a couple weeks off. Yeah, we were trying to take a couple weeks off, but the news really didn't allow it. to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm thinking this summer, uh now that we're kind of in the off season, uh we may not do podcasts every week. We may t- take a bit of a summer break. Uh yeah. you and I'll talk about that off the year. Uh okay. but uh you know, obviously is when whenever news comes up or we may hop on the air. So, uh I'm going to have to think about what kind of schedule we're going to keep in the summer because I I know both of us are family men and uh <laughs> our wives our wives yeah. often exert great patience letting us do these podcasts. Yeah. So uh, we may not yeah. do them uh, every week in the summer, but right. uh, we will do them. Thank you to my wife for, uh, for, uh, for being a little flexible at this point. So she's great. Yeah, my, <laughs> my wife too. My wife too. All right, Otto. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on today. I want to thank uh, the boys from the Vegas Hockey Podcast for coming on today. I want to thank uh, Paul Schneiderman for coming on today. And this brings us to the end of this special Saturday edition of the podcast. And uh, we will see you guys next time around.